Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You can still ride your bicycle in the city. We do have bike lanes. We have side streets and we have main streets if you want, if you want to take a chance at that. But we learned yesterday that Uber is planning to cut its contract and stop the Sobe bike share program here in Hamilton. Those are the blue bikes that you see all over the place. Um, oftentimes in their spots, in their bike holders, occasionally not so much. Nonetheless, um, as you would expect, this has caused great distress among those who use it and biking aficionados. And it's also led to a number of people saying the city should be jumping into this and taking over to pay for it so that this program lives on. Now, the problem is this is the same city that as of the end of May is going to be something like $23 million behind in revenues, struggling to find cash and potentially before another few months go by, could be, we're hearing as much as $60 million, six zero, $60 million behind where it should be. Where does a bike sharing program rank in those priorities? Councillor Jason Farr, Councillor for Ward 2, which is downtown, which is, as we hear from the stats, right in the heart of the Sobe user zone. So um, I'm sure, Councillor Farr, you've heard from some of your constituents already about whether the city should jump in and keep this going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the last uh, 24 hours, uh, absolutely. A good number emailed, uh, ceasing uh, a lot of the times all of council and the mayor and obviously sharing uh, the concern. There are um, most of them among, I'm sure, the 26,000 strong that are SOBI members and have been for some time in this community. So there, there's definite angst, uh, more or less uh, pointed toward Uber at this point. But uh Definitely the question of do whatever you can, counsel to save the program. And I would guess um, that a lot of times in normal circumstances, a program like this, which I, I think a lot of members, not all, but a lot of members of council are generally behind. Uh, I think that under normal circumstances, this might be a program that council would be inclined to look at. But when we hear about those numbers that we could be $60 million behind in revenues within a few months, what does that do to the discussions about what the city can do? Yeah, and at a time where we didn't anticipate the discussion, certainly with a good six months to go in that Uber contract taking you to February 2021, um, it, it was a theme. I mean, we discussed it likely an hour and a half or more today, um, and everyone held a position. Um, even the staunch advocates of cycling are, are well aware at our, our council that uh, we have these challenges. And municipally, of course, as you know and talked about before on your show, Scott, it's um, particularly challenge uh, in a municipality where you know you got to break even on your budget. Essentially, you can't really get yourself into debt. And so, when we're looking at, and you're correct, twenty-three to thirty million uh, by the end of May, and potentially sixty million by September. If this continues, I mean, we're not getting the kinds of revenues that we're used to from our rec centers, from our HSR and from other sources. Uh, notwithstanding, we worked pretty hard at a at a budget that just concluded. And then a few short days later, the pandemic came into play. So this was not accounted for. It's, it, it definitely would be if taken in house internal as an expense anywhere from five hundred thousand to seven hundred thousand dollars a year or, you know, fifty to sixty thousand dollars a month to operate the system locally. And um, it wasn't lost on most of my colleagues. Uh, that said, uh, we didn't uh, close up shop just yet on Sobe bicycles. So June 1st was the uh, 
was the um, you know the breaking of the contract date on the short letter out of uh, Brooklyn, where Social Bicycles is the subsidiary of Uber, had stated that they're getting out. They basically just said we're we're done June first. No uh, comment in that very brief communication of. Uh, understanding and appreciating their obligation to the city so so we've said to staff today go figure that out a little more they had a call at three o'clock with uh social bicycles out of brooklyn try to give them a better understanding of their obligations and council said to come back to us next week uh with options we didn't have a recommendation from staff today to deal with but we did have sort of uh, it was alluded to in the uh four-page report that these are some of the things that we could do and we said, okay, do that. Come back to us with, with whatever options you can in a week's time. I want to get into the where this fits into the entire transportation picture in a moment. But, I mean, th- this to me is just sort of a, a, a sampling, I would guess, of what we're going to be dealing with over the next little while. Because every little thing that at one point or another you may have been able to make a good argument for on council now has to run through a very different prism with those kind of dollars that were in the hole. Sure. And, you know, even Sobe, uh, when it came to Hamilton 2015, there was a Metrolinx uh, pot of money to make it happen. And that actual conversation lasted years. And then it was one of the first quick wins from uh, Metrolinx when it came into play. And it grew 900 um, um, bicycles and some 40 stations or more uh, throughout uh, most of the lower city, you know, three, two, and one anyway, and into Dundas. We were just contemplating how in public works, before we shut down public works committee, how we could expand to Ward 4 to the mountain. And so, um, you know, there were folks on council at the time, and, and you know, you get it. It uh, doesn't affect my ward. We don't want to pay for it, but we'll support it if Metrolinx does. And they did. And so that was covered, and, and that was all the capital to make it happen. And that's why we own the bikes now. We own the stations now. But the operating costs, it's not a money maker. It never has been. I don't think we were sold a bill of goods that it would be. Um, but it, you know, crosses all the T's and dots all the I's on all those other elements that council supported and mandates we've supported as it relates to that modal shift and, you know, in, in good environmental stewardship and, and, and trying to get people out of cars. So there's lots of examples. You and I have talked about it in the past where councils wanted to head in that direction. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking about bicycles because this was uh, this is one of the topics the city council was dealing with and has been dealing with and will be dealing with. That is the contract to run the bike share program in the lower city. Uh, and I think it goes down into Dundas too, but largely in the lower city, um, as being stopped as of June 1st. And a lot of the people who are fans and users of this service are now saying to the city, get involved, pick up the tab, let's keep this thing going. Um, it's up to you. Talking with Jason Farr, Ward 2 Councillor Jason Farr. Um, just before we get into the bigger picture, Jason, is there a hope? Is there a, The mayor said that this thing is going to continue. They're going to find a way. Does that mean city money or is the expectation that somehow a private sector company would be found that would keep this going well it could be both i mean we've tried to get private sector sponsorship and we've been somewhat successful with that this uh, sobe program in hamilton uh you'll see some of the baskets on well actually many of the bikes have sponsorships on them whether they're bias or local businesses but never to the extent where it could sustain the operating costs uh i'm with the mayor i mean i think we can but it might be short-lived and, and right now that's what i'm hoping for 
uh, get us through this warm season where there's the most soapy use in this city. Um, and at least to the point where we had that expectation that we would be dealing with a contract renewal February 2021, as opposed to this sudden shutdown and only focusing on where can we store all these bikes we own. Hmm. And and yeah. I believe, Scott, I believe that it can be a non-levy impact uh, for the five to 600000 that it would take to operate um, there's, there's opportunities to maybe look at area rating capital reserve. Now, capital is the key word, uh, but there are eight, uh, well, nine wards in the city that have funds that they could use for neighborhood projects. Could a uh, number of our uh, wards pool some money together and could council find it in their hearts to amend the capital and make it operating in this one case because we've been caught off guard, but at the same time, allow the program to exist at least for six months so we could look more substantively at corporate sponsorships or other mechanisms, but do it in a way where we're funding it and not affecting uh, the tax base and and not incurring any new or unexpected uh, costs in terms of our operating. We've ratified that budget, and then a pandemic happened, and no one really, it appeared, well, very few people anyway today appeared in the debate to have an appetite to talk about an enhancement to that that operating budget it it clearly from my observations of the many conversations that we had today for over an hour and a half on this subject was that's a a no-go zone a no-fly zone a no-ride zone what about what about user fees going up i mean i i've proposed user fee increases for lots of things not just for bikes but what about the idea that you know what if you want to use it okay but it's going to cost you a little bit more yeah, you know what? I, I listened for that today. I didn't bring that up. I was thinking about it last night, actually, when I was reading the report, but no one brought that up uh, that I can recall today. Uh, certainly, that that would be an option. I mean, there's parts of this program where we're very inclusive. We have an everyone rides uh, component of this, where if you're of uh, limited means, monetarily speaking, in the city, you can still get a SOBI account. That was a grant we received from uh, FCM and uh, the Hamilton Community Foundation a few years ago. And and those are the kinds of things with this program that we've been celebrating over the years uh, to make it available to everyone. And certainly everyone has been utilizing it. Um, are those folks that do have the means who are maybe even soliciting right now that this program needs to be saved, willing to do that? That could be part of what you know, staff, uh, how staff approaches this. And, and and why wouldn't you? I mean, we have to kind of think of all options at this point. So when we have options that come back to us from staff, there's, there's you know, some, some sound ideas that may, at the very least, and I'm, I'm not, I can't speak for our mayor, but at the very least cover us for, for the six months that we don't lose it, particularly in the, in the high season. We only, I wish we had a lot more time. I really do, Jason, because I got a lot of things I want to ask about, but let, let's just very quickly, because we're literally a minute here. Um, and we will do this again because it is a broader topic, but this is part of the whole transportation, the broader transportation, HSR and LRT and Sobe bikes and everything else. Do we have to be looking at what the needs are in this city a little differently now that we're hearing a lot of people maybe working from home, continuing to work from home, and maybe not as many people will be needing to get around does it change anything and are these bikes part of that discussion well we know that these bikes are used by commuters we we focus on a, a 5k radius that we we've been 
focused almost unanimously as a council for term after term, and you and I have talked about it on a modal shift. We're trying to encourage people to use other modes of conversation, uh, uh, transportation, whether it's transit, whether it's cycling, and that's why we have a cycling master plan. That's why we have this Vision Zero. That's why we declared a climate emergency. That's why we have uh, a transportation master plan. That's a huge focus in our city, and, and we've talked about it. Um, and now what we're seeing and even hearing on CHML, traffic reports that say all clear more often than they've ever have in the past. So there's capacity there. Uh, can we include SOBI in the short term? I think we can and with a non-levy impact to the taxpayers, but it is part of the bigger picture. It has been for term after term of council. And so I think at the very least, we, we need to continue the conversation. We need to get those options and hopefully float something that is palatable for the majority of council to support, at least in the short term. And when I say that, I, again, I mean to that point where Uber should have been honoring that contract. And all the while, while Scott, and I think it's important to conclude with this, chase Uber down uh, for, for, at the very least, the funds, the operating funds to do so because they're obligated in the contract. I- I do want to uh, pick this up and have a broader conversation with more time just about this because it seems as though transit is changing under our feet with the needs and everything else, but uh, that is not a thing we have time for today. But uh, Jason Farr, Councillor for Ward 2, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The way that the Grey Cup is being done is changing. Great Cup has been awarded 107 times and it is being changed if it's played this year because the CFL announced today a bunch of new little tidbits of information, including something about the Great Cup. Let's bring in Rick Zamperin, who knows his way around football as well as anyone in this city and knows his way around CFL football as well as anyone in the city. Rick, how are you? Hey, good, Scott. I think you guys just played... And spoiled it for everyone, really, the 108th Grey Cup halftime show. So it's now out there. Uh, discuss amongst yourselves. It will be the um, Ohio State marching band with Mrs. Smith's grade three recorder class. Yes, practicing physical distancing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, very much so. All right, so there's a number of things that the CFL announced today. Uh, possibly no, the earliest they would start is in September. I don't think that's too surprising. I think that's what most people figured. There are some cities that say you can't have anything going on until September. So that's not a surprise. Um, and touchdown Atlantic, the game out East that they've had for a number of years now, not happening this year. Rick, the story of the day, I think in the CFL is what the league announced that it will be doing with the gray cup game this year. Assuming there's a gray cup game, it was supposed to be in Regina not going to be in, well, it could be in Regina now, but it is only going to be in Regina if they make the game, if they make the final and they have the best record. It is going to be pretty much like the NBA or NHL or Major League Baseball playoffs or finals. Home field advantage goes to the team with the best record. Like it or hate it? Well, I, I like it in a sense, and, and and I don't necessarily hate it, and I'll tell you why. So, so the CFL is calling this a, a win and host model, which we've seen, as you mentioned, in, in other sports, whether it's, uh, you know, basketball or, or hockey or, or baseball. Uh, you know, the team with the best record amongst the final two combatants uh, will get, uh, you know, home field advantage. You know, baseball is a little bit of a tweak now with the All-Star game, but you, you, get, you get the sense. So I really like it in the sense that 
listen, it's really tough to plan if you are a host city uh, because there's not going to be a traditional, quote-unquote, breakup festival. You're not going to be able to, we think, you're not going to be able to congregate in uh, you know, the, the, the Tiger, uh, Tiger Town or wherever the Rough Riders are set up or the Stampeders and whatnot. So the festival idea is really going to be thrown out the window. For, so for any host city, and Regina would have been the host this year, it would have been really unfair for, you know, Regina to put on a you know, spectacular kind of display. So, you know, what the CFL has decided to do uh, would be to reward the best, uh, the team with the best regular season record among the final two teams. And the thing I like about this the most is that all nine CFL teams now have a shot at hosting the Grey Cup. The thing I don't like about it is, is come December, in which the Grey Cup could be waged, uh, it could still be played in front of zero fans in attendance. So it really doesn't mean a hill of beans in terms of A, home field advantage, and B, economic impact, because there's not going to be a lot of people there, or any people there. That is true, although it also could be a massive advantage in both cases. If, if, if we're allowed to have gatherings by then, and if, especially financially, if you're one of those teams that has not made a ton of dough, and i.e., let's say the Argos or the Alouettes, and all of a sudden you find yourself hosting the Grey Cup, I mean, this could be a, a boon to your bottom line. This could, this could be a difference maker for some teams. Well, let's look at Hamilton's example. Uh, the Tiger Cats have one of the best teams, at least on paper. We saw that last year, a team that went 15-3, and three, won more games than any other season in their 150-year history, went to the Grey Cup, didn't play a good game in that final, but has all the tools uh, to go to another championship game. So let's just say the Ticats win the most games and they get to the Grey Cup. They'll not, be, not only be hosting the Grey Cup this year, they're already guaranteed to host the 2021 Grey Cup. So Hamilton could have back-to-back Grey Cups for what would be the first time since 86-87 uh, when Vancouver hosted the big game in back-to-back years. And... I mean, think of the op- the possibilities there. First of all, Hamilton has a great chance, assuming this happens, because um, I, I think they're a team that probably should be there and absolutely will win the East if there is a season and puts themselves in a great position, especially with a crappy East. I mean, Hamilton could very well, very easily be the top team in the CFL, which would give them home field advantage in the Grey Cup. This could be perfect for the Ticats. Rick, every time I think about this, and I've thought about this before, even though it's never come up, Think of the excitement around the game when, I, I mean, I've been to World Series games in Toronto when the Jays were in it. I've been to uh, the, the, even the Grey Cup in Toronto when Toronto was in it or whatever else. It, it's, it, there is something special about knowing that your team is playing and it's in your stadium. This could be a great thing, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the, the other proviso is if you are guaranteed to host the game, so next year in Hamilton, you know that, you know, you know that you're hosting. So there's not, not to say that there's extra motivation to play in the game, but there is a lot of motivation to play when you are hosting and certainly to win when you're hosting that game. Uh, for this year, if, and this is a big if, if the season goes ahead, um, you know, a- any team has a shot, which, yeah, you know, at the end of the day would be economically huge if fans were allowed to attend. Even if there was... Uh, you know, one in every 10 seats or whatever the case is, that there's going to be a fan, that physical distancing was still going to be a thing come late November, early December, whenever this Grey Cup would be held. Uh, there, there's still going to be a, you know, huge cash flow to the, to the team that, that hosts. But again, this is a massive if. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. 
Talking about the Grey Cup uh, changes today announced that if there is a season this year, the Grey Cup is not going to be played in Regina, where it was supposed to be. It will be played at the home of the team that has the best record that makes it to the championship game. Next year, it's going to be in Hamilton as planned. The year after, it's going to go to Regina, so 2022. But this year is the wild card. It could be anywhere, which means, as my guest Rick Zamperin pointed out, that could be back-to-back years in Hamilton. And Rick, here's something else that I love about this. Besides the home field, and by the way, you would get, if there is a game and if there are crowds, you would get much more of a home field advantage than even if you would next year if the game was in Hamilton. Because next year when the game is in Hamilton and it's planned out, many, many, many of the seats will go to people from other cities or people who move in. If it's a last minute, the week of ticket sale thing, you're going to have a lot more rabid Ticat fans, you would think, in those seats. Without a doubt. If, you know, if we come to a point where we're allowed mass gatherings, uh, no matter how large, it is going to be hugely beneficial for that home team because uh, you know, you're not going to get those fans who just go to Grey Cups because they've done so over the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, you know, they, may, they make a pilgrimage to whichever city in, 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 uh, and venue that's hosting the Grey Cup, and that's their, you know, their, their annual tradition. This year, if the game goes ahead, uh, we're not going to know which team hosts the Grey Cup until uh, the East and West uh, finals are done. Uh, and it could be the, you know, the Western final that decides that, or the Eastern final, which is you know, the 1 o'clock game. So it could be you know, a week away from the championship game in which we find out where that game is going to be held. And that's not a lot of time for you know, fans just at the CFL to make plans and go out. Some of them will, but I, I think the fact of the matter is that whichever team does get to the game with the best record is going to have most of its fans in attendance. And that's probably the usual case uh, when, you know, a home team gets into its great cup, uh, even uh, when, you know, that, that the date and, and everything else has been predetermined, but uh, yeah, it would be hugely advantageous for the home team. Uh, if fans were allowed into the stadium. Let me throw one other reason why I like this better. I know that you can't plan as well. I know you can't set up all the festivals and everything else, but the one knock that a lot of people have, and I've had it sometimes too, I've offered it sometimes too. The one knock against the CFL is with nine teams. So you've got four in one division, five in the other, and you play 18 games is everyone says the real season doesn't start till September. There are a lot of games, Rick, that go between the start of the year and Labor Day that you could you could legitimately start the season 0 and 8 and still make the Grey Cup game if you could turn it around. This by making the Grey Cup making all those games matter because it matters with your schedule so that you could get the Grey Cup or not. That to me makes all those earlier games much 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 more important and much 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 more valuable. Without a doubt. If this is going to be uh, an, an eight-game season in which every team plays each other once or, uh, you know, an eight-game season in which you just play within your division. Each of those games are absolutely massive because a loss or, or two or, or even three in a row would pretty much end your playoff chances. Uh, but if you win two or three in a row and go on a hot streak, uh, you, you know, you set yourself up for, you know, making it to the postseason and having a shot at ultimately hosting that CFL game. So yeah, without a doubt, cutting the season in half, it's really a sprint to the finish. There's no marathon here. You're gunning for that finish line right off, uh, you know, the opening kickoff of the season.
but I'm not even just, I would love to see this extend. I mean, I know that they got to give it to Hamilton and they're going to give it to Regina. I would love to see this be done with an 18 game season so that those games in the first half of the season that sometimes become not so important because again, you can make the playoffs no matter how badly you do. Listen, you want to have a terrible start? That's fine. You can still make the playoffs, but it's going to become way more difficult for you to get in. And if you do get there, you lose the opportunity to host the Grey Cup. I, I think that this just magnifies every game in a league that needs sometimes to have that happen. Yeah, but certainly incentivize you know the 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 uh, you know teams, personnels, uh, you know uh, general managers to stockpile their teams with much better players to give them an opportunity to host. Uh, in the, not only playoff games, but Grey Cups if this uh, you know scenario continues, which I don't see it happening because no, you really won't. limit yourself in terms of you know the festival part. You can't book a big Grey Cup halftime show act because you don't know where it's going to be and you can't really you know uh, dangle the musician or, or the artist around to say, oh, maybe here or there or, or somewhere else. Um, you know that's that's the main part of of having it uh, well in advance. But yeah, from a competitive sports standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. I don't know. Now, you know, the more you talk about it and say the things that we can't do, I'm thinking, well, why couldn't we have the artist at an undisclosed, we don't know yet what location and on. I, I'm telling you, if this thing, I'm really hoping, first of all, there's a season and I'm really hoping we get to see how this works. And you're right. I don't see any way the CFL decides to make this a permanent thing because it's been 107 years of doing it. I, I can't say that they've always done it this way. Rick, I can't, I mean, I don't know if I go back to the 19 teens if this is how it was done, I, I am not really sure of the history there, but certainly for the last 50 or 60 years, it's always been at a set host location. I'd love to see what, what would happen with this one. I'd love, I mean, try something different and see, see if it works. And I mean, I go back here, I'm just pulled these up, uh, Saskatchewan and Hamilton in 2003, that game was in Regina. Mm-hmm. wasn't there, but understand it was unbelievable. The atmosphere there, cause Saskatchewan was playing at home the year before the hundredth gray cup. Toronto and Calgary in Toronto the year before that BC and Winnipeg in Vancouver, you know, it works when you play at home. It really does. And and all the home teams won in that regard, but I will say this dangling around an artist or a musician, uh, you'll probably end up with Mrs. Fowler's recorder class for the (laughs) halftime show, which might not be a bad thing, but I'm just saying. Ted Michaels singing rap. Could be the Ted Michaels with doing his best Drake at halftime show could be your halftime, but uh, you know what? Yeah, there's a downside. Oh, uh, it's fascinating stuff though. And we will see. Hopefully we get to see what this looks like. Uh, Rick Zamperin, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks. The Scott Radley show. Weekday evenings from six to eight on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley show podcast is available on Apple podcast, Google podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.